everyone. This is Molly Douthit. And David Douthit. Welcome to More Than Hearing, a podcast to encourage preachers to use multiple intelligences in sermons and worship leadership, because there are plenty of ways to reach someone's soul. Today, we're covering Body Smart and Self Smart for the lectionary selections for the fourth Sunday in Easter Year C. It's Good Shepherd Sunday, so in John 10, Jesus tells the temple party they don't know him because they aren't part of his flock. Martyrs and angels sing praise to the Lamb in Revelation 9. In Psalm 23, well, duh. And Peter raises Tabitha from the dead in Acts 9. Come, lie down in our green illustrations and walk beside our still special effects. This podcast is based on Dr. Howard Gardner's theory of multiple intelligences. Dr. Gardner suggests that there are multiple ways to learn, process, remember, and understand our world. Each week, centered on the weekly readings of the Revised Common Lectionary, we develop illustrations and special effects using various smarts based on Dr. Gardner's identified intelligences. Over the course of four weeks, we will cover word smart, eye smart, math smart, body smart, music smart, nature smart, people smart, and self smart. You could read more about Dr. Gardner's work by clicking at the link at the top of our webpage, morethanhearing.org. Join us as we explore ways these intelligences can be utilized for a deeper appreciation of God's Word. Then we encourage you to try it yourself. Anytime and any way we can make use of the different smarts, we give people greater access to the Word of God so they can acquire it, process it, and internalize it in ways that make sense to them. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. And if you are a first-time visitor, welcome here. We are looking at the scripture passages for Year C, Easter 4. We also are looking specifically at two of the intelligences for this week. We are looking at Body Smart, and we are looking at Self Smart. If you want to see what we did with the other intelligences, or at least most of the other intelligences, click on the link at our show notes for Year C, Easter 4, 2016. I haven't actually looked, so I don't remember what we did. We did some stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. There's a lot of stuff. (laughs) A lot of stuff, yeah. So if you're uh, looking for something other than body or self, you can maybe find some stuff over there. Oh, yes. So anyway, I'm doing body smart, as I said, and body smart people are people who are uh, very good with movement. Uh, either large or small motor skills. They they need to be moving. They don't like to sit still. Uh, these folks, in terms of worship, would be excellent members of a liturgical dance team, mm-hmm. which would also probably include some music-smart people. Mm-hmm. Uh, Body-smart people might also be utilized to teach ways to sign prayers. Mm-hmm. That's a good way of doing that. Uh, they might be the ones to make banners with the iSmart people or make prayer ropes or uh, prayer beads. Working in conjunction with people smart individuals, they may be the ones to pick up members of the congregation who have mobility issues to get them places either to worship or around the, the community. And they might work with nature smart people on gardens at members' homes or in the community or the uh, landscaping around your church. The best way to include your body smart people is to give them things to do, hands-on work, work that gets them out of the pew and into action. So, what have you got for self smart? I've got exactly the opposite. So, 
<laughs> <laughs> so are we saying that body smart and self smart people might not be one in the same? Uh, well, who knows? They yeah. might, but it would be an interesting combination. You might explode. I don't know. <laughs> so self self smart or intrapersonal intelligence is the awareness of one's own self internally. So one's emotional state, motivations, strengths, weaknesses, uh, and and how you interact with others, uh, uh, what your role is in that. Um, these may be your contemplatives, counselors, or prayer warriors. Mm. And they may also be folks who are quickly moved by the music or prayers in worship. We don't always do well to provide opportunities for self-smart folks uh, because they're hard to spot, mm. and the work that they do is internal. And so you can't tell if they're doing anything. Exactly. So while it's critical to a healthy spiritual life to do that kind of work, it's hard to recognize or direct unless someone says, can you help me do this? Uh, so allowing some time for silent prayer and either silent or guided meditation will help them engage in the worship service more completely and give other folks a sense of what that might be like to mm -hmm. be a self-smart person. Mm -hmm. uh, they're likely to do that anyway, so you might as well just make it explicit. Yeah, yeah. The gospel lesson for year C, Easter 4 is from the book of John, chapter 10. Uh, this is traditionally the Good Shepherd Sunday. They always, the lectionary uh, committee selects uh, passages from John 10, where Jesus talks about sheep and shepherds. This isn't one of the passages that if they hadn't, if the, the leaders of the Jewish council hadn't approached him on uh, at uh Solomon's portico, we wouldn't know this was uh, a Good Shepherd Sunday because <laughs> they come to say, hey, uh, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. And then Jesus you know, answers them, hey, I've been doing all this stuff and every, everything that I've done points to God's work in me, so why aren't you believing me? Oh, hey, I know why you're not believing me because you're not a part of my flock. Ha <laughs> ha, sheep. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so it, it, the other the other lectionary years, the Good Shepherd Gospel passage is a lot more obvious mm. when he speaks of being the Good Shepherd and then talks about um, the sheep pen and things like that. But anyway, so uh, he goes on to say that uh, Jesus goes on to say, "My sheep hear my voice; they know me; they follow me, um, and no one is going to be able to snatch them out of my hand." And then he ends. Uh, in this particular uh, selection at verse 30 by saying, the Father and I are one, which leads into some drama that we don't have in this, in this passage today. So anyway, there you have it. We are working at uh, looking at this sort of obscure shepherd passage in the Gospel of John today. Well, for a body smart, um, I... Uh, have a couple of verses that, that uh, popped out at me, verse 25 and verse 27. Um, verse 25, where he says, the works that I do, which got me to thinking the way to, a way you might illustrate this is the way, is thinking about the way people do things can really identify them. And I'm thinking of that uh, show uh, from the BBC, the Great mm -hmm. British Baking Show. Mm-hmm. 
uh, we've watched a couple of uh, seasons of that. All the contestants are given the exact same task and all the exact same ingredients and the exact same instructions. And they are supposed to bake a biscuit, a cake or a pie, cookies, whatever. And um, it's interesting to see how each contestant, all of them given the exact same materials and instructions, Mm -hmm. come up with something different that reflects who they are. Uh, So the people who are very careful and methodical come up with very careful and methodical uh, (laughs) pastries. People who are improvisational, you know, they come up with what's been asked of them, but there's a little bit of them in that. And people who are downright lazy, you know, they miss something, they, or they're not careful about it. It it really reflects what they offer to Paul and Mary really reflects who they are Mm -hmm. in some ways. So uh, what Jesus has done up to this point has revealed his character. He's left a trail of evidence as to who he is. So, uh, what you might do as a special effect with that is uh, think of all the ways that children complete a craft. And I've got a link to a web page for simple 10-minute crafts that you can uh, put together. Give everybody, children of all ages, I mean, it doesn't have to just necessarily be kids. It can be anyone or everyone in the congregation. Give everybody supplies for a quick 10-minute craft. And so they can work on it while you're preaching about Jesus being, you know, showing himself by what he does. You have two follow-up options when they finish. Have everybody hold up what they've done for display then and there, or display them at your fellowship hour and allow your artists the chance to discuss why they put their craft together the way they did. (laughs) Or even do both. Uh, the other illustration of special effect uh, comes from verse 27, where Jesus says, they hear my voice and they follow me. So follow the leader. Remember playing follow the leader uh, or following the person who has better directions or of better, uh, more accurate GPS, <laughs> just following, you know, just the idea of following mm-hmm. uh, for a special effect. Actually play follow the leader and be certain to ask people who've joined the game why they did so. Maybe they thought it would be fun. Maybe the seats are hard and they want to get up or maybe they trust you and it sounds like fun. Mm-hmm. So what have you got for self smart? Okay. Um, I was going with the part where Jesus says, I told you and you don't believe. So describe a time when someone, and perhaps especially someone that you cared about, uh, didn't believe you, even though you were telling the truth. And I may have told this story before. It's uh, that, um, and it's not about somebody that I was in any sort of relationship with. But I was walking the dog one time, and this woman came up to me and said, "I saw what you did. You let your dog poop on the sidewalk, and you didn't pick it up, and that's disgusting." And I said, "What are you talking about? I, I, I would never do that." And she just kept going on, and. And she was so angry and upset with me. And I kept saying, I wouldn't do that. And I I was so upset that I didn't think to say, look, I have it right here in my hand. I've got a bag full of poop right here in my hand. So, (laughs) but it was very upsetting that she just wouldn't believe me. uh, Even with the evidence right there. Yeah, which I didn't think to provide, of course, but there it was. Um. Anyway, that that might not be the best example for this particular passage, but yeah, 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 that, yeah. That, that illustrates it pretty well. I think yeah, that's that's the one that kind of hooked <laughs> me. Anyway, for special effect connected with that, maybe uh, invite people to make a list of what makes a person believable. 
Hmm. Uh, is it their words, their actions, their attitudes, or something else? And what's the balance if it's more than one of those at a time? Uh, maybe make up a slip that, that has percentages for each of those things. And I actually have a, a uh, template that you might use for that on the worksheet at morethanhearing.org. So uh, you can take a look at that and, and just let them reflect on, on what's the balance of what makes a person believable. Uh, hmm. words, actions, attitudes, or to to what extent your own actions right. and attitudes right. fall into that. Right. And that led me to the idea of confirmation bias. Oh, yes. And confirmation bias is the tendency to interpret data in a way that supports one's own expectations. Mm -hmm. So you leave out the pieces that don't fit your narrative. Like a bag full of dog poop? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no, it was this guy. He yeah. did it. He right, did it. Right, right. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I've got a link to uh, uh, an article that talks about confirmation bias and, and what it is. And uh, in, in these polarized days, to what extent are you more likely to believe someone who agrees with what you already believe about a given situation. Mm -hmm. And that seems to be maybe where the Jerusalem Temple Party was, you know, they, uh, with they respect to Jesus. They already had their mind made up. They, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And um, anything he did that would could possibly dissuade them from their mind being made up uh, was just not going to enter the equation for right, them. Right, right. Yeah. And they, they already knew that he was a sham. Right. And so, so turning water so, into wine isn't going to change that. Right. And so. and they just wanted him to say it out loud so they could accuse him. Right. So he gives Perhaps. them something else I, I mean, by saying what, the father and I are one. So yeah, it's like, yeah, oh, yeah. hey, yeah. this is even better. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's go on. The second reading for Year C, Easter 4, is Revelation 7, verses 9 through 17. This is uh, uh, continuing in the vision of John the Revelator, and uh, he sees a great multitude that no one could count from all the nations of the earth, uh, robed in white with palm branches, and they are crying out, salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. And the angels uh, chime in, and they sing a, a sevenfold ascription of praise to God. And then one of the elders addresses the uh, the revelator and says, "Who are these in the white robes?" Uh, You're <laughs> asking me. Yeah, basically. Uh, and and so it turns out these are the martyrs. These are the ones who came through the great tribulation and have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb and made them white in the blood of the Lamb, which is kind of counterintuitive. It is. We did an eye smart uh, on that the last time, actually, the special effect that I think would be interesting. So look that up. Um, anyway. They are, uh, they, for this reason, they are before the throne of God, worshiping day and night and giving praise to the Lamb. So the, the Lamb is the Good Shepherd in this one, or the Good Shepherd is the Lamb. So 
for self-smart, I got to thinking about the dynamics of worshiping as recognizing another as greater than yourself and offering your allegiance to that one as a result. And we're commanded to worship only the Lord God, but we don't always use the right internal dynamic for that, I think. And sometimes it can become just a a basic recitation rather than a, a deep offering, or there can be more of an expectation of benefit particularly in Western culture, what's in it for me, because mm-hmm. we think of everything in those terms, mm-hmm. uh, uh, rather than an offering mm-hmm. to God. Um, so can you think of a time when you were honestly impressed with someone's skills that so surpassed your own that you were stopped in your tracks? So not quite worship, but you know, awe of somebody, right? So like maybe it was in sports, a sports figure like young Tiger Woods um, or a singer like young Kathleen Battle or um, some other virtuoso in a field that you dabble in. Mm -hmm. Um, That led me to Maestro Salieri and Amadeus who was just uh, amazed at the brilliance of Mozart until he realized what a jerk he was. <laughs> Things went downhill from there. But, um, but he always had that sense of awe at his, at his uh, virtuosity. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it's just a meeting, uh, meeting an idol in person and being starstruck. Um, or on the darker side, uh, a cult member's devotion to the cult leader. Uh, we saw a program about the Manson family the mm-hmm. other night, for example, and uh, uh, those folks still are devoted. Oh, to, to squeaky from us, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, that that's kind of the dark side of it. But these who are in the white robes with the palms are so starstruck by the Lamb that they gave their lives in the tribulation to be loyal to him. And unlike our other idols, the Lamb is worthy of such devotion. For a special effect, give people some time to meditate on the ascription of praise in verse 12. And consider each of the seven attributes assigned to God and to the Lamb. And what do they entail? So this would be uh, blessing, glory, wisdom, thanksgiving, honor, power, and might. Oh, that's a different order than last week's. It is. I want to keep it fresh. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, Course 53 in Handel's Messiah, right, right at the end. Yeah. Uh, so what would it mean for you to give or attribute each of these to God? And is there a difference between giving them and attributing them to God? Hmm. Hmm. Body smart? Body smart. Okay. Well, in some of the commentary I read, somebody said, and this I thought was really uh, a very um, true, deeply true statement, that the body of saints that John sees is uncompromisingly international. Mm, mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, considering the world that we know compared to the world that John knew, it's even bigger. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I so I think that's that's a, a good th- good good thought to keep in mind as you're as you're interpreting this passage. It's uncompromisingly international. Yeah. 
Um, also, some commentary that, about the symbolic images. Mm-hmm. They serve our ethics. There's so much significance in them that they cannot help but move us to think and to act. Uh, so as you're reading Revelation and as you're beginning to comprehend what the symbology is in these uh, verses, actually throughout the entire book, it starts to affect you on an ethical level, and then that ethical level leads you to act differently, think mm. differently, and act differently. Mm-hmm. Um and I think also there's some echoes of Psalm 23, which we'll get to in a minute, in verses 16 and 17. Uh, so if you look at verses 16 and 17, hunger no more, thirst no more, sun will not strike them, or any mm. scorching heat. Uh, it talks about the lamb will be at the center of the throne, will be their shepherd, will guide them to springs of water of life. Uh, so I think there's a real connection there to Psalm 23, which, yeah. like I said, we'll get to in a second. All right. So for Body Smart, specifically as illustrations, verse 9, the multitude. Have you ever gone to a political rally or a concert? Uh, I have. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yeah, it's all those people. And a way to uh, a special effect for that. It kind of has some eye smart elements to it, but I got have a link to some uh, images of Woodstock 50 years ago, mm, some aerial mm-hmm pictures that people flew over and oh my god half a million people in a field it's amazing so (laughs) you you post some of those pictures and then allow people to let their bodies feel themselves being a part of that mass Mm. you might even have some people in your congregation who went who were there yeah i was at woodstock oh yeah i thought you looked familiar (laughs) um we weren't really no that's from uh, parenthood yeah uh anyway uh this whole idea of multitude of people just everywhere. I remember having an experience one time that was, I think, the last time we ever went to a Dayton Dragons game when we lived in Dayton. And you you and the kids were running the bases after the game, and I was standing out on the sidewalk waiting for you. And I remember watching people walk past and just being overcome with this sense that each of these people who walked by was somebody who was deeply and passionately loved by Jesus. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of this this flow of people back and forth. So in, in a ways that I, I thought of that when, you know, talking about the multitude surrounding the throne. Uh, verses 15, 17, uh, with all of that care that uh, the, the lamb is going to provide for his followers, uh, maybe this is like a heavenly hostel because they've come through an ordeal. Not the heavenly host, but the hostile. Hostile, yes. It, this is, so the multitude that is gathered here has gathered because they've gone through something. They can rest and they can recover. And I have a link to um, a uh, series or a link to hostels that are on hiking trails. And this particular link is hostels on the Appalachian Trail. Um, where you can, particularly in our area, uh, because when I Googled it, it grabbed my location (laughs) it's like okay here uh but yeah so um so maybe that's what you know these heavenly hosts are people who have endured something have gone through something and now they are someplace where they can rest and be and be given a chance to uh Mm -hmm. recover Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or like a team gathering after a big game in a locker room after a massive victory or a bitter defeat or a cast party uh for uh an acting troupe or or dancers or something um, this also made me think of an experience that I had just last weekend where we had the chance to volunteer for a fun run. And I decided that my role standing in this one particular part of the race was to cheer everybody on as they ran past. Uh, I figured since they were subjecting themselves to this torment <laughs> that they needed someone to acknowledge it. 
And most of them were pretty appreciative and thanked me for applauding and cheering them on. So the, the, the idea that your body has gone through something. You have gone through something physically, and here uh, the, the the lamb in his in his victory is giving you the chance to to rest, relax, yeah. be part of it. So there's a lot of people smart. Yeah. In there too. And... Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I found a lot of the the stuff I did with Body Smart this week really bled over into almost all of the other intelligences. Yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. you just have to choose which one you're going to emphasize. Yep. All right, let's go on. The psalm for year C, Easter 4, uh, is Psalm 23. I don't think we need to say anything else. I hope not. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, well, we'll probably refer back to it as we go through yep, what we're I, doing, I but uh, you know what it is. So uh, for Body Smart, safety and sustenance are twin themes for this particular psalm. Mm. And I ran across an article that is an entirely a music smart article. So if you're going to look at this, it's completely about music. It's Isaac Watts' hymn, My Shepherd Will Supply My Need, which is my favorite musical version of this psalm. I love it. Um, uh, and it's the, the author has a lot of music theory in it and talking about the, the, the composition and everything like that. But what led me to think about this and put it in Body Smart is it would be a fantastic uh, piece to do a liturgical dance to. Oh, yeah, that would be cool. So that's why I put it there. Do we have any thoughts on how that would go? I looked for liturgical dance for Psalm 23, and there was a lot of different stuff, but nothing that was uh, the hymns. Um, You could Google liturgical dance Psalm 23, but it does. I couldn't find anything specifically to uh, my shepherd will supply my need. Yeah. I tend to go with liturgical dance that connects one-to-one with, with what's going on in the passage as yeah. opposed to some random movement that may or may not have anything to do with it, but it right, looks pretty. Yeah. yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So I'm a little too practical for this, I think, sometimes. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, going on to illustrations. As I was reading some of the commentary that uh, about this particular psalm, I came across a book called A Shepherd looks at Psalm 23 Mm. by a man named Philip Keller, who is a shepherd. And from that book, he says, sheep need four things to lie down. Freedom from fear, freedom from friction within the flock, freedom from parasites, Mm. and freedom from hunger. Now, this is a very nature-smart kind of illustration, you know, uh, animal husbandry in which you need to be able to to make sheep happy. But this is an analogy. This is a metaphor. So think about how freedom from these particular fears work out in our own bodies. Mm. We rest better when we're content, when we're full, when we're healthy, when we're happy. So... Is an interesting way of using an illustration from Nature Smart to connect to our own bodies as, as people. Mm-hmm. Uh, verse three, the Hebrew, here's a little bit of word smart, for restores my soul. The, the word in Hebrew is nefesh. And nefesh is life. God, the, the, the Lord restores my life. Not just my soul, but that which makes my soul come back to life. What makes your soul revive? And so thinking about that in terms of your own body, what makes you feel your body come back to life? A good night's sleep, 
a nice meal, maybe some vitamins, a walk around the block? What is it that brings your body back to life? And how does that also bring your soul back to life? And in verse three, you were with me. Um, I'm th- thinking there of coaches or who, who are alongside their athletes, directors who are working with choirs or with groups of actors, uh, a parent who is getting a child through a difficult period. It's a physical embodiment of somebody there alongside you who is with you and helping you through some things. Um, a special effect for that particular one, uh, ask somebody to come up and lift a weight up off the ground and, you know, make it kind of a, a, a bit of a challenge or ask a child to come up and lift it. And a- after they struggle with it for a while, you go over there and you help them. Mm-hmm. So you are with me. Going for some other special effects, uh, th- this one I think would be interesting. Uh, bring in a collection of things that keep us going. The things that we need for our daily life, cell phones, coffee cups, health food, car keys, portfolios, diplomas, whatever, something that keeps us going, keeps us motivated, keeps us getting up uh, and include in this grab bag, bread, house keys, a bottle of water Mm -hmm. and invite people to come up and begin throwing out the things that are not necessary for life. Does it spark joy? Yeah. Well, some things might, but we're looking specifically for what do you need to keep your body going and keep going until the basic things are left, food, water, a place to, to rest, to be sheltered, and point out that the psalmist insists that God provides these things. Um Mm-hmm. Moving on to anointing with oil, my head is, a, uh, you anoint my head with oil. Uh, shepherds would have used oil for healing cuts, for taking care of insect bites. So do you have any ointments or oils? Uh, anoint people, have people come up and or, or go to them and anoint them. Uh, there's a lot you can do with, with the body in, in this psalm, uh, particularly as you look at the allegory of being a sheep in God's care. Mm-hmm. The anointing with oil, I mean, there's there's liturgies for that. Yes, there are. Uh, yeah. With yeah. prayer and uh-huh. such. And so. the Book of Common Worship has one, a service of healing and anointing. Yeah. Yeah. You could actually just do a service of healing and anointing and use this as the as the basis for that. That would be cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, for self-smart, I was wondering if being alone in the wilderness was... Uh, such a powerful experience that it brought David or whoever it is that wrote this psalm through through a sense of fear, maybe, to a place of peace. Hmm. And that that's what this psalm is about, uh, being out there in the wilderness. I, I went looking and I found a video on the topic of uh, confronting the wilderness alone and... Uh, uh, it's it's kind of a reflective piece on isolation. Yeah, solitude. Solitude more mm-hmm. in the wilderness mm-hmm. and being out in in the wilds. Um, then I have another article about the benefits of being alone in the wilderness and the psychological stuff that happens for you in doing that. And uh, I've got a couple of those, actually, so you can take a look at those. And some info about a show called Alone in the Wilds. That's not Naked and Afraid. It is not Naked okay. and Afraid. It's uh, kind of the opposite. So Good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um so anyway, those those are all uh, different 
articles and videos that have to do with that experience of being out in the wilderness uh, by yourself. Then you, you might invite people to reflect, where do you feel safe and secure and why? And with whom would you feel safe even in the Valley of the Shadow? All right, let's go on. The last of our readings for today for Year C, Easter 4, is Acts 9, verses 36 to 43. This is the story of Simon Peter being called to Joppa to attend to Tabitha, who is also called Dorcas, who is a prominent member of the Christian community there in Joppa and who had died. And so they sent for Peter and he comes and the widows that were there who uh, were very close to her were showing the, the, uh, her handwork, her sewing and, and, and so on. Uh, he puts them all out of the room and kneels to pray and then says, time to get up, Tabitha. And up she gets. Mm-hmm. And the word spreads, and many come to believe in the Lord because of the news of what had happened. And then Peter stays on at the home of Simon the Tanner, which sets us up for the next an, story. another story. But there we go. So the raising of Tabitha, known as Dorcas. So I got to thinking about belief here and mm-hmm. and that many came to believe because they heard the news of this story mm-hmm. and it kind of connects with the gospel lesson uh, a little bit what mm-hmm. what do you believe based on what you uh, based on seen. what you have seen right so i read or trust right so i read some articles about belief in miracles hmm. and i read four different articles oh and my uh, yeah. That's Thanks what, for taking one for the team there, dude. <laughs> yeah, because most of them w- were not good. Um, <laughs> at least I didn't think so. Uh, so I've got a link to the best of them, which it was by Richard Gunderman, who's the Chancellor's Professor of Medicine, Liberal Arts, and Philanthropy at Indiana University. Um, and hmm. it, it was at a web, website called theconversation.com. It was hmm. a well-balanced article in that it, it looked at why you might believe and why you might not, and why it's a good idea that you do believe in miracles. So uh, I, I found that one to be a, a very helpful article, so I'd commend that one to you. The others tended to have flawed logic one way or the other, um, there was one that was kind of, it, it, it was more anti-miracle. And okay. so it mischaracterized what the effect of believing in miracles would have on everything else. Okay. So the, the logic, and it was written by a philosophy professor. The logic was terrible, I thought. Huh. Okay. Um, the other side was from a pro-miracle Christian point of view, and the logic here was also terrible <laughs> in that it just poo-pooed the, the opposing arguments without... Uh, Considering them at all? Yeah, without okay. counting So a little bit of confirmation bias in a couple of your articles here. Yes, very much <laughs> so. Nice. Thank you. Um, then there, there was a, another one from Psychology Today that looked at 
the belief in miracles. It had some interesting statistics, actually, about belief in miracles. And for all the concern that, you know, we're becoming a less religious culture, Mm -hmm. almost 80% of Americans believe in miracles. So um, maybe we're becoming less religious and more superstitious. uh, Well, that depends on. I haven't read the article. That depends on what you think about miracles. Right. Right. Uh, the, the psychology today article didn't go one way or the other necessarily, except, um, that, uh, it's a belief that should be taken seriously if you're in the medical profession, basically was kind of the argument. So essentially, um, the idea that how your spirit is will affect how your body is and recovery and treatment. Right. Okay. So there's some connection. Mind, body, spirit connection. Right. Okay. All right. Uh, For special effect, the text says many people believed in the Lord because of the news of this happening. And many people in our day have a hard time believing in such miracles at all. So uh, give your folks an opportunity to consider where they are on that spectrum. Mm -hmm. You know, if you believe this story is true— do you believe that Jesus' followers can still perform miracles? And if so, why don't we hear more about it? Mm-hmm. And if not, why not? If you don't believe this story is true, then what do you believe about Jesus' resurrection? And if God is not able to perform miracles through people, what sort of God is that? Mm-hmm. And is there a point on the spectrum where a person can believe in God while not believing in miracles and still be called a believer? And is it better to believe in miracles and not seek them or to trust in Christ but not believe in miracles? Hmm. So just a bunch of questions to put people. Yeah, that will will, uh, keep you busy on your morning commute. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, that's kind of the idea. So, uh, more practically, what happens in our bodies here? Right. Oh, oh, you're actually asking me that. I'm asking. Oh, okay, okay. (laughs) That was a segue. I missed. Sorry. (laughs) I I was still on the train. (laughs) Well, I think um, for Body Smart, what really connected, uh, connects your body to this passage is what Dorcas has done for the widows. Uh, She was devoted to good works and acts of charity. Uh, The widows for whom she provided are standing with Peter, showing him all of the things that she had made for them. Um, It got me to thinking about when I was a kid, I would come home for for many years when I was in elementary school, I'd come home and there'd be skirts or dresses or pants or or, uh, uh, shirts hanging on hangers all around the dining room. And I knew that mom had been busy with the sewing machine that day. Mm -hmm. And uh, Mm -hmm. we wore pretty much everything she made because she was very prolific and uh, a lot of it was really attractive and fit really well. And I remember when I was in 1974 or so, she made me this pantsuit because pantsuits for women were it really a thing. thing at that time. And I remember wanting to wear it as often as I possibly could because I just loved it. 
Um, so do you have an illustration of your own where somebody made you something and either you didn't know it was going to happen or you did or, but it was just, it just fit perfectly. It was, it was beautiful. It, it just made you feel like royalty wearing it. Um, and also because it, or, or even if not that, the, the love that the person gave you in this garment. Uh, mm-hmm. surrounded, enveloped you. Um, there are a lot of congregations that do prayer shawl ministries. Mm-hmm. Uh, women who knit or crochet, they get together and they put together shawls that they then uh, give to people who are going through difficult situations. Um, maybe they're going through chemotherapy treatments or they're in the hospital or they're in recovery or they've lost somebody or they just know somebody needs a hug. Yeah. And so they wrap them up with yarn. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you can't be there, um, th- that might be something. And, th- and if you don't have something like that, that might maybe starting something like that in your congregation. Cause there are a lot yeah. of, a lot of knitters and crocheters out there who love to get together and do that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, other, do you have quilts, pyramids, banners made by a member of your congregation? We've got a couple of things hanging in David's congregation that, uh, particularly through Lent, there is a, a table cover we use for the communion table that somebody quilted. Mm-hmm. That's that's really lovely. Um, do you know this person? Who made it? Uh, what is the story behind that person? That's kind of a people smart sort of thing. Um, but if the object was made by someone with love, like Dorcas's clothes for the widows, uh, it's it's a, a something produced, manufactured, and then given, uh, you know, by someone's love. Uh, are there clothing ministries in your area? There are a lot of people who collect gently used clothing and donate them to particular ministries for folks who are you know, looking to go for job interviews that don't have mm. clothes that make them look professional or presentable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, there's a Dorcas clothing group on Facebook. I found it. It's in Frederick, Maryland. Uh, you can look at them and see what sorts of things they do. Um, start one of your own. Uh, it's it's a very hands-on way of of uh, making something using your body to comfort other people. Uh, to something wrap I up just their bodies right to wrap around their body. But something I just thought of. Um, there's a woman in David's congregation whose sister sent her a card mm. a while back when she was recovering from a, a hip surgery. Um, that on the outside had this little teeny tiny uh, prayer shawl that they had knit. It was just a, a little like a pocket shawl. Across, yeah. yeah, made out of fingering weight uh, yarn knit with really tiny needles. So it's a little teeny tiny shawl that you just carry around with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, there are summer months where wearing a shawl is going to be kind of <laughs> oppressive. Um, but yeah, so I mean, there's, there's ways of doing that, ways of making things to give to people to show your love, your concern, God's love and God's concern for them. Mm-hmm. That's it for today's podcast. Please ask questions or leave us a comment on our website, www.morethanhearing.org, or at facebook.com slash morethanhearing, or tweet us at morethanhearing, or email us at connect at morethanhearing.org. If you tried any of these suggestions, or maybe got an idea that you like even better than ours, please let us know what you did and how it went. We would love to hear how using this theory has made a difference in your preaching and worship. Remember to check out the show notes, worksheets, links, and resources at our website. They go hand in glove with the podcast and give you lots more material to work with. Don't forget to subscribe using the links on the website for iTunes, Google Play, Android, or good old RSS. 
or point your podcatching software at morethanhearing.org slash feed slash podcast. Help others find us more easily by writing a review at the iTunes store. And of course, you can always share the show with your friends and colleagues. We'll be back with another episode next week. So in the meantime, stay subscribed and be smart. Yeah, it, uh, the, uh, pfft.